Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be dealing with the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And the title of the message is From Death to Life. But um, I, want to, I want to start by sharing with you just a, a little insight into my family, into my mind, into my parenting. Um, every Saturday morning, my uh, girls and I go on a donut date. It's just a, a beautiful way to support the economy and our increasing uh, waistline, waistline. So anyway, so we go on a donut date, and after we get our donuts, uh, on occasion, when we have the freedom, when we have the time, we go on what I have created called adventures. I am I am deeply to my core a person who loves adventure. I love to do things new. I am not a person that's afraid of change, and so that makes me a bit risky for people, but it's okay, right? And so I like to do things to just have fun with the girls. And so one of the the, uh, things we do for our adventure is we get in the car, and we just see where the girls will take us, okay? Where the girls will take us. Now, Just so we're clear, there are some rules about this game, okay, about this adventure game. And that is, uh, and the rules have changed over time, and that, the changing of the rules and and the, the, the revelation that it has given me towards what I see in God our Father is quite... Uh, humbling and quite impressive to me. So uh, the rules work as follows. When we're driving, after we get our donuts and everybody has eaten, so crumbs and chocolate are not in my car, we are driving down the road and when we enter, we come to a, a, an intersection or whatever, the girls get a choice, straight, right, or left. Or they get whatever decisions are set out there before them, okay? And so they get to make the call and we go in age order, Sam, Kate, Joe, and Becca, and then we cycle this around. So we go into this thing, and we're having fun doing these kinds of things, and we get into all kinds of really fun, weird places, okay? Not places that I have uh, not been, because that's what I did all my, all my childhood, right? When I got my license, I was just like, see where I can go. It was fun, right? So we go to all these places, and they take us to these different, different roads and fun stuff, right? But the, the caveat is this, or the rules are as follows, um, In the beginning, I had a destination in mind, and I didn't want to spend all day driving, okay? So what I did was, in a sneaky fashion, I determined what the destination was, where we were going to go, and I only allowed my daughters the choices that would get me to our destination. Now, here's the funny, real strange thing about this. My daughters had this feeling like they were free, right? My daughters had this feeling like they were making free choices and that they could determine wherever they went. But what was the truth? They weren't free. I was was manipulating the situation the entire way. And as I kept doing this game, I started to think, is this how I see God? And the answer is an emphatic no, an emphatic no. So I started to change the rules because I thought, that's not how my Heavenly Father operates, and I don't want to operate outside of that, so how do I see God operating? So I started giving them every choice possible. So the second set of rules was this, you can turn right, you can turn left, you can go straight, we can turn around, we can do a loop for all I care. You tell us which direction we're going to go, and we'll see where it goes. Now, do you realize the outcome of giving them complete freedom? We never get home. 
<laughs> right? Right? So, so we never get home. So I gave them absolute freedom to do anything. And then I thought, is that how God works? Now here's the thing that you need to understand. In one very real sense, the answer is yes. And this is why the world has a problem with God. This is why atheists struggle with their view of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good God who supposedly loves all of humanity, but yet Joe Bob can go out drinking one night and turn his car into oncoming traffic and kill an entire family. And God didn't stop it. Because you know what Joe Bob has? Freedom. And he has freedom to do whatever he wants. And here's where it gets really humbling. He has freedom to do whatever he wants at the cost of other people. Does that make you take a deep breath? Does that make you scratch your head? It should. Because someday some atheist, some non-believer is going to come to you and they're going to go, what gives with your God? I thought he was all-powerful. Why couldn't he stop the drunk? I thought he was all-knowing. Why didn't he know the guy would be drunk to begin with? I thought he loved his people. Why didn't he protect the family that got killed? These are questions you should wrestle with. Because the rest of the world's wrestling with them, whether you do or not. So I asked the question, is this how my God operates? And I thought, in one sense, maybe. He does give us complete freedom, even to the cost of others. But then I thought, what does the Bible show me about the God that I know? And here's what I, here's what I came to. I realized that God, like me, that's the farthest extent they're close, right? <laughs> so God, like me, gives his children choices. But God himself has choices in the midst of those choices, doesn't he? Right? So the way we changed the rules was this. They could go right, left, up, down, backward, whatever. They could take us down a, a no-outlet road. They could take us on a road. That was my limit, right? Don't go into people's driveways. We'll get shot or something weird, right? So we can go down any of these ways, but remember this. At any given point, your father can make a decision and go whichever way he wants to go. You know what that helped us do? Get home. <laughs> that was really important, okay? So that really helped. At any point in our adventure, my daughters could also do this. And this is the closest my analogy can come to salvation and surrender and life with God. At any point in the journey, my daughters can go, we just want to go home. And once that surrender comes, then what happens there? I take over. I don't take over fully like I'm like, now I don't want to hear you until we get home. Unless there are being pains in the neck. But anyway, so right? But instead, what I do is I go, okay, let's guide you guys in how we get home. Why is that? I actually want to teach my daughters to be familiar with the roads that they are going to drive on at some point. I would love for them to hit 16, 17, 18, whatever it is that their time frame of getting their license is. And when they jump into it, they're not lost. That's what I want, right? So as a dad, I recognize, number one, my kids have choices. As a dad, number two, I recognize I have choices, and those are important choices. Throughout the story of redemptive history, God has made decisions that didn't change the, the will and the decisions of human beings, but he made decisions that could redeem the decisions of human beings. 
That's why the Bible says God uses all things. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. The Bible does not say God orchestrates all things for the good of those who love him, right? It's very important for us to realize this. And so I create this game. They have a lot of fun. And at any point they can go, Dad, just take us home. And then I take them home, right? Where it is safe, where they know they belong, where they're happy. This is the story that Paul is communicating to the church in Ephesus. He is communicating a story of being chosen, of being predestined, of being uh, called for certain things, but not the way you've been taught. He has called and he has chosen and he has predestined specific things that are absolutely beautiful and amazing for us without taking away the people we are. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter that we have a responsibility within salvation to say, I trust you, Lord. We're not earning anything. We're not making God do anything. We're simply responding to our Heavenly Father. So when we talk about this issue of coming from death to life, what we're doing in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, is we're recapping chapter 1. That's all Paul is doing, and I want to show you how beautiful this is. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, every, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let's just stop there and ask what's happening, right? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed. Who is that? Besides us, <laughs> that's awesome. Who is us? Do what? The believers, the church, but who is Paul writing to right now? Ephesians or these churches in the surrounding area? It's very important that you understand this. There is an audience to whom this was written. It's written for all of us. That's a beautiful truth, right? But it was written to this audience, and here's what you need to remember already about this audience. They've already heard the gospel, they've already put their trust in Jesus, and they've already been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, you might look at that and go, Nathan, duh, but it's not duh. It's not duh because of the way we keep reading the rest of the text. It gets us all befuddled, okay? So he says this, and I want you to read this when you read it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed those who have heard, those who have believed, and those who have been sealed. That's what you should say. In the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he, by the way, that's the Father, chose us. Who is us again? Those who have heard, those who have believed, and those who have been sealed. Important distinction. For he, the Father, chose those who have heard, believed, and sealed in him, Jesus, exactly, before the creation of the world. And here's where most people stop. And if you do it, you're going to come up with wrong theology. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Cool. Guess what that means? That means God chose Nathan. Nope. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible never says God chose Nathan before the foundation of the world. Who are the us? Those who have heard. Those who believe. And those who are sealed. Guess who God chose before the foundation of the world? Anyone and everyone who will hear, believe, and trust and be sealed. That's who us is. If you read it wrong, you're going to go, how do I know I'm chosen? 
And then you're going to ask the question, am I a part of it? No, I don't know. I can't tell. I've prayed. I've asked pastors and teachers. They have no idea how to answer the question. And yet, Dwayne gave you the answer three weeks ago. What was the answer? The answer is, if you've heard the gospel, you've believed, and you've been sealed. That's how you know. That's it. And guess what the response is after that? Jumping up and down. It should be rejoicing in the king of the universe. So, for he, the Father, chose us, those who have heard, believe, and are sealed in Jesus before the creation of the world for a purpose. And there's the other piece we stop reading. To be holy and blameless in his sight. Do you know what the quality of those who hear, those who believe, and those who are sealed is supposed to be? Holy and blameless. Do you know how much you're allowed to just go, I'm saved by grace through faith. I don't have to do anything. You're not. You're not allowed to do it. You're just not allowed to do it. You can play that game if you want, but James is going to come along later and he's going he's to shoot that idea down. And Paul's going to shoot it down in just a little bit. Okay? It's really important. God chose those who will hear, believe, and be sealed he chose those people. That's not with Nathan in mind. That is if Nathan will hear, choose, and believe, and be sealed, right? He has chosen those people to be holy and blameless. You have a job to do now. What's your job? To live holy and blameless. Holy is to be the children of God, to be the chosen ones or the, the set-apart ones, the saints, as we like to say. That's what it means. And blameless is what? Blameless in the eyes of God is to be made righteous the way God sees it. So first thing that we need to understand is who is chosen and what are they chosen for? The chosen are those who hear, believe, and sealed, and they are chosen to be holy and blameless. Ask yourself the question, have I heard? Have I believed? Have I been sealed? And do I follow God? And the answer is I'm chosen all day long. And I love that truth. You never have to doubt it. You never have to worry because it's true of you. So then he moves on. He says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. And there is where we stop and we forget the context. We have no idea what Paul is aiming at or getting at, what he's talking about, who he's talking to. And we go, see, predestination. Predestination. God predestined Nathan. Nope. God did not predestine Nathan. God predestined Nathan if when he hears the gospel, he chooses to believe. That's it. There's no other way around it. And you won't find a Bible passage that says the opposite of it. You're going to find what this says, and that's the sticking point. Because you have a responsibility to respond to the message. What does Romans say that the gospel is? It's the power of God unto salvation for those who what? believe. It's not magic words. It doesn't get spoken over you and you're like, woo, I'm Jesus person, you know? No, you have to believe. So he says, in love, first of all, remember the quality of the Father. In love, God predestined us for, say it with me, church, adoption. Do you know what Paul is trying to tell you? You are not brought into this place to be a slave 
You are not brought into this place to be a servant. You are not brought into this place to beg at the master's table. You are not here like the, uh, serving like the Roman gods where they're fickle and they'll give you and they'll not give you and they'll give you and they'll not give you. That's not what you're doing. You actually get something way bigger and that is a family in Jesus Christ. So who is us? Us are those who hear, those who believe, and those who are sealed. Who are the predestined? Those who hear, those who believe, and those who are sealed. And what do we get sealed into? A family, adoption. We're part of the family of God. If you read this any other way, I believe you're reading it wrong. I believe you're reading it wrong to the detriment of other people as well. God chose Nathan, and God predestined Nathan to, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago before the foundation of the world. It's not going to make any sense. Because what that does imply, I'm just in. And guess what happens if I'm just in? It doesn't matter what I hear. It doesn't matter what I agree to. It doesn't matter what I do. I can live non-holy and completely blameful. I can live completely running from God, but hey, I was predestined before the foundation of the world. It doesn't work that way. So he says, you're predestined to what? Adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Who wanted you as his child? The Father. You know, uh, Dwayne used a, 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 a quote from, oh, what's his name, Dwayne? Psychologist. Kirk Thompson, who said, we all come into this world looking for somebody looking for us, right? We come into this world looking for somebody looking for us. And here's the beauty. We do that because we were born coming into this world looking for the God of the universe who is looking for us. He's always been searching for his children. He's always been doing it. So it's such a beautiful truth. So who are the chosen? Those who? Thank you. Who are the predestined? Yes, it's awesome. Okay, so you are predestined to be sons or daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace because what is the mechanism by which all of this is occurring? Grace. Grace, 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 grace. It's going to keep going, right? Which he has freely given us in the one, who is the one? Jesus, the one he loves. So Paul says, here is the truth of who you are. And remember the context. These are Gentiles who didn't feel they belonged to anyone or anything. They were lost in their darkened world. And God not only comes with with the Apostle Paul's words, he comes and says, I want you to be saved. But he goes, I want you to be saved to be my children. So Paul's going to go on and he's going to parallel these things in chapter 2. And he's going to show how we're all equal. But first, let's go, down to verse, uh, let's go down to verse 13. Let's look at what's said here. And you also were included in Christ. Watch. What I said before is not made up nonsense. Look at what it says in the Bible. You also were included in Christ when you heard the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked with him and with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. 
You heard, you believed, you were sealed. That's it. This is not complicated. I will drop the mic because this, 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 this belief system, this truth, as simple as it is, has derailed the church with all manner of nonsense, and it drives me crazy. But what is true is I heard, I believed, I'm his, I'm sealed. I don't have to worry about anything. Do I screw up? Holy cow, yes. Am I going to keep screwing up? I wish that wasn't true, but yes. I make mistakes. But what am I going to do? I'm going to remember by faith one really important truth. I heard the gospel. I believe the gospel. I've been sealed. I'm predestined. I'm chosen because of those things. And this is so vitally important. So you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him in the, with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know what gets God the most glory and the most praise? This whole dang family. We, all we have right now is this deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And guess what we get in the future? The whole kingdom. The whole kingdom. Every one of us. We don't have to worry. We are it. We are the people of God. So we go on to verse 18, and we remember what Barney shared with us last week in the prayer of the Apostle Paul. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Anybody know that fully yet? I don't. But it's beautiful because we know pieces of it, and we know that the prayer is that our eyes, the eyes of our heart will be enlightened so that we may know it. And it's unfolding, and it's great, and it's big, and it's beautiful, okay? So that's all coming. More and more hope to which he has called us. And then look at this. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I need you to really, I want you to own this belief just like here, believe, and sealed. I want you to own this the same way. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may, first, know the hope to which he has called you, Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in your people. That is actually a part of the hope. And guess what we were sealed into? A family. That's the way you need to understand this. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, in the holy people, is that you have riches unimaginable in this community and in the broader community of Jesus. This is how much you need to understand this. That's fine. You can stand up. I'll hold you. This man, this man is a rich and glorious inheritance because he's my brother. That's it. I get to own this guy. That's it. That's the truth of this. And if you see it, you can actually look at the people around you in a right way. You don't have to miss it. You don't have to lose sight of it. And then guess what it'll do? It'll teach you to talk better about each other. It'll teach you to stop accusing each other. It'll teach you to hold fast to the truth that is in them. They heard, they believed, they're sealed. 
They're with you whether you like it or not. But you'll like it if you understand it. Every person, no matter how gruff or how serious or how funny or how whatever, they all belong to you because this is the riches of the glorious inheritance in God's people. But guess what that inheritance is also? An inheritance for God. Why? Because he's got a family. And what does that family get him? The praise of his glorious grace. We just read it. This family gets God praise in all of creation. The heavens and the earth declare his glory because of what he has done. And so he goes on and says, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which you are called, that you can see the family to which you belong, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Hey, guess what, guys? You heard, you believed. You can stop there right now. You already have been sealed, but you heard and you believed. Guess who gets the power now? You do. You get the power. Who gets the praise? God. Who gets the power? To all those who believe. Now, what does that mean? Do we get to be like Bruce Almighty and start zapping things into life? No. No, no, no. Does it mean everybody you pray for is going to get healed? No. Was it intended to be that way? No. There is still a future hope and a future glory. There is still something that, uh, that rights all wrongs and, and sets everything to rights the way it should be. But it's a beautiful, beautiful truth that you are part of his incomparably great power, which is for us. That power is the same mighty strength that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same strength that set him at the right hand of the Father. It's the same strength that takes him, takes over the entire world and establishes the kingdom of the living God. That's what you belong to. That's what Paul wanted to get across in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he says, in light of that, here's what I want you to know. As for you, and here's what pastors do with this, and it Oh, it drives me crazy. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, you heathen. Paul is not reading that that way or writing that that way. He has no agenda here except for to show you we're all equal but God. We're all equal but God. Look at what he actually says. And, and this is how I believe Paul would actually say this to people. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins the ones in which you lived when you followed the ways of the world and when you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who live disobedient lives in the world, that's, that's who you once were. Then he goes on. All of us also lived among them at one time. Me too. Who is saying this? The Jew to the Gentiles. The Jew of Paul is saying this to the Gentiles. He says, also, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. We followed the desires of our hearts. What did we not do? We didn't follow the desire of God's heart, but we did everything we wanted to, and the desire of our thoughts, or the following our thoughts. Like the rest, what were we deserving of? Notice the tense. Like the rest, we, that's pretty awesome, were. Because it's not now. And I'm super grateful for that. Because I don't want to freak out and fear everything, right? Like the rest, we were by nature 
deserving of wrath. Can you accept a truth without panicking about uh, indictment? Right? Can you accept a truth that says, you know what I was? I was a sinner. Just like everybody else. I was worthy of death. I was worthy of completely being damned. If that's what, if it was up to me, that's what I'm, that's what I deserve. I can say that with boldness. I can say that to the rest of the world with boldness and still not be freaked out because here's the deal. I was that person. And you can be past tense that person if you do what? Hear, believe, and get sealed with the Spirit of God, which comes as soon as you believe, right? Such an important thing. So Paul goes on in verse 4. He says, but because of his great love for us. So Paul's not mad. He's not aggressive in his writing. He's actually going, we're all equal, but God. We were all equally sinful, but God. Look at what he says. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. It's back to this mercy, back to this grace, back to the things that God shows us. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And then we have this beautiful line that gets elaborated later and we need to elaborate on it. It is by grace you have been saved. It's awesome, right? What got us there? Grace, right? You notice that he doesn't contrast it and say, it's by grace you've been saved, not faith, you bunch of weirdos. What is he contrasting here? All of the book shows us that the contrast between grace is grace and works. Not grace and faith. Don't confuse that. The fight and the battle in our lives is acceptance of a gift or earn it. That's it. But the battle is never between grace and faith. Faith is required to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? So he goes on. He says, but because of that great love, and then he says, and God raised, go back, guys, and God raised, back, the forward, sorry, go forward. Yeah, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. How many of you feel like you're seated next to God in heaven, ruling over the world? Not me. Still true. Still true, but this is what theologians often refer to as the now and the not yet of the kingdom. There is a truth, and you haven't seen it all manifest, but it's true. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. You remember that incomparable power we just talked about? When does the fullness of that incomparable power come? Did you read it? In order that in the coming ages, he doesn't say in the coming age as if there was only the past and now the present, but everything for the future, never ending, that power is ours. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't have an end. So he says in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. All that power is the kindness of God. So verse 8 goes on. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And right there, 
we burn down the world because of our theology. And here's what you need to understand. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Remember that. So that no one can boast. Do you understand me? Follow the commas. Follow the understanding of the sentence. For it is by grace you have been saved so that no one can boast. You were saved by grace. Now, through faith is really important. Why? That's your response. You heard the gospel. What do you do by responding? You have faith. You believe, right? This is really important. By grace you've been saved through faith. So that no one can boast. It was grace that saved you. It was grace that will always save you. It is not your, what is, what is contrasted to grace? Works. It is not your works. So when we understand this, and trust me, not only do I have theology and language on my side, I even have the proponent of the system that believes otherwise who also agrees with me. The antecedent for, and it is the gift of God, what is it? What is it referred to? It is only referring to grace. You know who also believes that? The very guy who created, or the guy who is named for creating the system that disagrees. John Calvin did not believe that faith was the antecedent of the gift. I have the writing and all. It's a beautiful truth. Why? Because faith is not something God gave you to believe. Here's why that's important. Well, I preached to you the gospel. Now I want you to make a decision, Nathan. But hold on, before you do, I'm going to give you the ability to make the decision for me. Does that sound like I'm making a free choice? No, 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 no. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like the first set of rules in my game with the girls. I'm like, you can turn left or you can turn right, but we're going home, and either way is going to get us there. Because I gave you the only thing that I needed to give you to get what I want. If God gives you both the grace and the faith, then you have a deep problem. You have a deep problem because what if he didn't? This is the, the question people ask. What if he didn't? What if God didn't give me the faith to believe these things? What if I'm lost? What if I'm not chosen? Who are the chosen guys? Those who heard, those who believe, and those who are sealed. That's it. Who has the ability to hear, believe, and be sealed? All y'all. All y'all. Not one person is left out of this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this grace salvation is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, because what is contrasted in the Bible? Grace and works. Grace and works so that no one can boast. Let me push it a little bit further. First, Romans. Romans chapter 3. This actually is a part of our uh, what we believe, right? Romans chapter 3, it's not going to be on the screen because I'm just, I'm just in the zone right now, so deal with it. Anyway, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, look at what this says. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Being justified is the gift, not the faith to be justified. 
It's the gift of God that saves you. It is the grace of God that saves you. You have to trust it. And if you don't trust it, it ain't working. And so somebody will protest and they'll say something like this. Nathan, though, what you've done is you've inserted human effort. And so humans have to do something and therefore they can claim that they earned their salvation. You cannot by faith. And the Bible never says that faith allows you to brag. Faith is a surrender. How in the world can you brag about a surrender? Well, I surrendered. You can try. That just sounds stupid, right? Instead, what happens is that the grace of God was given to all mankind. And only those who hear and believe and are sealed are the chosen and the predestined of God. The book of James goes and tells us a lot about this. Here's what James chapter 2, verse 20 and 22 says. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Wait a minute, Nathan. I thought you were talking not about works. Here's the way you need to understand salvation. Salvation is the grace of God believed on by faith that produces what? Works. Actions. What were we called to be again, church? Holy and Blameless. Oh yeah, we have to do what he says. That's really important. So, we have the grace of God, the justification of God, the salvation of God. It's believed on by faith, and faith without works is what? Dead. So, you have to have works that follow your faith. That is the order of what happens. But here is what doesn't work. Redemption and justification earned by works. Who's your faith in if you think you're going to earn your redemption and your, and your salvation? It's in you. You're like, dude, watch this. I lived a perfect life. Ha ha, saving. No, you won't. You've done too much wrong. You've done too many things bad. You cannot overcome that. So grace overcomes it that you walk into by faith, and then as a result of that faith or in light of that faith, you do everything God asks you to do. Why? Because you're called to be holy and blameless. Because you're his child. And you want to obey your father. Amen? So look at what he says. You foolish person, do, not, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were doing what? Working together. Because grace of God, faith that produces work, that produces action. He says they were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Have you ever wondered what that means? What does it mean for your faith to be made complete? The first thing you have to understand is if faith is a gift of God, he gave you a short gift if it needs to be completed, okay? Which sounds really stupid as well, right? God gives you enough faith but not enough to do anything with. Do you see how this doesn't make sense, right? So instead, he gives He doesn't give you the ability to believe in him. You can trust in him or not. But if you trust in him, it needs to be perfected. Why? Because you're a human, just like me, right? And so what Abraham did was he heard God. And God said, I want you to take Isaac. I know he's your only kid. I want you to go to the top of the mountain. I want you to put him on an altar. And I want you to raise the knife and make him a sacrifice. And Abraham goes, okay. What in the world, right? But he says, okay. 
And as we love to joke, he didn't tell Sarah first. So he goes up the mountain, right? And that is his faith walking into that place. He lays Isaac on that table. He draws the knife and God says, stay your hand. Stop. I believe that you trust me. Guess what faith being made perfect means? Abraham believed God. He walked it out. And when he laid that boy on the altar and God stopped him and said, I know you believe me, his faith was complete that God is a faithful God. God will not take what is his. God will reward him. God will bless him according to the promises he's already made. Abraham's faith being perfected was that Abraham's faith actually now made sense. Some of you guys are walking by faith after God. You're in the middle of hell. Listen to me. You're walking by faith after God. You're in the middle of hell. It is being perfected, but you want to give up. How many of you feel that way sometimes? I'm trusting God. I'm doing what he said. It doesn't look like it's doing any good. Keep going. Raise the knife. Wait for the God of the universe to respond to you. And when he does, here's the beauty. Your faith will be made perfect. Your faith will be complete because you will go, dang, he really does come through. He really does answer what I ask and tell me what I need and give me the power that he says he'll give me. Some of us won't let our faith become perfected because we can't actually carry out the work God has called us to do. That's the problem. Faith begets works, which begets perfect faith. And that is what Abraham understood. So he goes on and says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Did you notice the whole ordeal is called believing God? He trusted God with Isaac. He worked, raised the knife. And all of that is what it meant for him to believe God. And that was credited to him as righteousness. Now look at what it says here. And he was called God's friend. I love that truth you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do through faith and not by faith alone. Because there's no such thing as a faith without a work. So understand what happens inside of Ephesians chapter 2. What he says is, the us I was referring to in chapter 1, the chosen, the predestined, Those people are those who hear, those who believe, and those who are sealed. You all were sealed for a purpose, to be holy and blameless. Your past life was not holy and blameless. But it is now, and I want you to walk after it. I want you to leave behind the things of your dead self from death, to life. I want you to put that stuff away and then I want you to come alive and I want you to walk after God. And then look at the last verse of Ephesians 2, verse 10. Verse 10, he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the final point that I want you guys to take away. You were made to be holy and blameless, chosen for it. You were made for good works. But what are those good works, Nathan? What, in fact, are those good works? Read verse 3 again of Ephesians 2. Among them, 
We too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh of the mind, flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. The good works is literally just the opposite of what that is. And it's, so it's countless. It's endless. God, God did not, through the Apostle Paul, give us an exhaustive list because he knows what we do with lists, right? So instead, what he does is he goes, the former way is the lust of the flesh. This way, holy and blameless, is what? According to the call of God. You once were dead, now you are what? Alive. You once were lost, but now you are found. What are we supposed to be, church? We're supposed to be a people who hear, believe, and are sealed. In that sealing, we're supposed to be holy and blameless. Those are the good works for which we have been called all the days of our life. And we get to do all those good works in the company of a family. There is no better promise, no better truth than what Paul is telling us. Amen.